Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Field, Adam Stoll to the right. Hunter on the move. Racing back. It's over his head. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. This is Red Sox Beat on CLNS Radio. I think it would be a big statement if John Farrell started Travis Shaw on opening day, and I'd be totally cool with it, because I think it would, it, it, if that doesn't give Sandoval motivation to, to play better defense and play better, period, nothing will. I think they're going to make Jeter that first unanimous vote, and I hate that about baseball writers. If you belong in the Hall of Fame, you get voted in the Hall of Fame. Achievement or a new milestone. So don't just be like, hey, we, we signed this player, so we're going to have a ceremony. No, no. Like Now, to your hosts. All right, Red Sox fans, welcome in another edition of Red Sox Beat here on CLNS Radio. Of course, we're brought to you by Blue Apron. And don't forget, you can get your first three meals for free. Uh, good deal going on right now. If you go to blueapron.com backslash Red Sox Beat, put it right up there in the URL. Uh, you'll be able to get your first three meals for free with free shipping. It's awesome. Check out the menu and get that deal now. Um, as well as, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Red Sox underscore Beat. Facebook is Red Sox Beat Podcast. Uh, as well as, of course, rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. It's the biggest thing you could do for us. Uh, and, and spread the wealth. Spread the knowledge that we provide with you all. Um, and we love doing this. And it's officially... I guess you can call it a Red Sox off-season edition, but there's still baseball going on. There's still a World Series going on. Uh, Jess Thomas, Lauren Campbell, and myself are here. Uh, what's going on, guys? Another week, another show, and another week closer to pitchers and catchers for Red Sox. Yeah, God. So, thinking. Yeah, it's crazy that we're sitting here talking about pitchers and catchers in February when it's still October and we got World Series baseball. Let's focus on the World Series. Come on. Yeah, no, it's, it's never uh, too much. Never too early to start thinking about Red Sox, though. Not true. Not true at all. <laughs> oh, very true. We have Tom Brady to think about. We have the Celtics to talk about. And we have a World Series to worry about. So I'll worry about pitchers and catchers after the winter meetings. But um, we do have a World Series to talk about, which is very exciting. Cubs, Indians. Um, but before we do World Series predictions, and there is some Red Sox news to get to, we do want to look at the NLCS and the ALCS and kind of what happened because the Cubs won in six, Indians won in five, and we'll, t- we'll get to the Indians because there's a lot to say about the Indians. But first, guys, it's been a long time since the Cubs have been to the World Series, and a lot has changed. <laughs> but that being said, Anthony Rizzo is a, and Lester and the dominant pitching staff that they have, big reason why they, um, they, they overcame the Dodgers, considering a lot of people wrote them off after they were down 2-1. Yeah, a lot of people seem to write them off, and I know it's probably easy to do so because, you know, the whole 108 years since 
they won the whole thing, so I can see why it was easy for people to jump off. But and they're they came back. They proved a lot of people wrong, and they kind of gave the fans of of, of Chicago kind of something that we felt in '04. Yeah, the uh, they got down two nothing. I mean two to one. It was eight uh, four win in the first game for the Cubs, then they lost one nothing and six nothing. They just completely lost their offense. And it's funny actually. Uh, my brother texted me. One of his friends wanted to uh, to know what what the uh, the odds were of a team coming back and winning after being down two to one as the home team. So I did some research. I, I didn't do the World Series because it's been a seven game series for a long time. So that would have taken forever. But I did I did some math from uh, the ALCS and NLCS. Uh, it's been seven game series since 1985, and uh, teams were seven and sixteen in. Uh, they were down two to one as the home team. They were seven and sixteen, uh, four and twelve in the uh, in in the uh, NLCS, and three and four in the ALCS. It happened a lot more in the NLCS, but seven wins out of twenty three series is that the, the home team was down two to one. And the Cubs won the next three games, ten two, eight four, and five nothing, and they just they just forgot about not scoring runs. They scored a bunch, and they are now. They now made the teams eight and sixteen when going down two to one, so they didn't care about history. No, they didn't, and this team doesn't seem like they care about history at all because they're pushing forward, rightfully so, getting into the World Series after improving last year. Um, now, big question is: It looks like their offense is back on track, led obviously by Anthony Rizzo. Do they stay on track now against the Indians team? When we'll get to them in a second, whose pitching has done well in the postseason here, despite missing two starters. Can this offense now figure? Does it seem like they figured it out? I mean, I guess it seems like right now they have because Rizzo's been pretty solid. But we've all seen what Cleveland's pitching can do, whether that's Andrew Miller coming in, in the third or just their bullpen just completely shutting any offense down. So I think Cleveland's going to be a, a great test for the Cubs, and I also think the the Cubs are going to be a great test for Cleveland. Yeah, it's tough to know because, I mean, the, the the Cubs have a two-game streak of not scoring, but then they went out and scored 23 runs the next three games. But yeah. the Indians are sitting here shutting everyone out and not giving up any runs when their two, two or three best pitchers are out. So clearly they were underestimated, and the Cubs the Cubs broke out of their streak. But who knows? They could come in here, and the Indians could pitch extremely well, and the Cubs could go into another hole if not scoring runs. So it's going to be going to be good offense against good pitching. It's going to be a good matchup. And, and before we get to the ALCS and kind of talk about that series, um, there was a lot of Red Sox in the NLCS, former Red Sox, um, between Lester and Ross and obviously Theo. And then you have on the other side, you had Adrian Gonzalez and obviously the manager um, and Dave, as Dave Roberts. So a lot of Red Sox tied to the postseason as a whole and obviously a lot of Red Sox going to the World Series who used to play for the Red Sox. So um, a lot of ties there, but one thing that was really cool to me was after the Dodgers lost Game Six, Dave Roberts went to the clubhouse to talk to Joe Madden and gave him respect for what he has, what they're doing, and because obviously we know Dave Roberts knows what it's like to be on a team like this and doing something that no, they haven't done in a long time, and, and Dave Roberts obviously a big reason why the Red Sox were able to do that with that stolen base, and he went over and basically said to Joe Madden, you know, you guys go get yours. This is um, something that not everyone can do, and, and, and Roberts respected that, and it's on, good on him to go over to Joe and said, hey, go get it. This is yours. Go get yours. Yeah, and I'm sure as hard as it was for him, you know, to really just kind of take in that 
their season was over, he also knows how good it feels to be where the Cubs are. You know, he was a huge part of why that this curse was broken on in Boston. And he probably knows those exact feelings of, you know, the fans, the players. And now he's in a completely different position with, uh, you know, being a coach. So, and I wouldn't really expect anything less from Roberts. He's, he's always just such a good person. You don't really hear anything negative about him. And I just wouldn't expect anything less. Yeah, he's definitely a great guy. Everyone seems to like him. Everyone liked him here. He's, you know, he smiles all the time. He's a happy dude. And he came in here with the Dodgers, and you know, he, he didn't care about expectations. He didn't care what people thought about him. If they doubted him, he came in here, and he took them to the NLCS in six games. So, I mean, he's clearly a good manager, too. They made the right decision there, and he's uh, he's a good dude. And that, that shows a lot of class to be able to do that because it's, it's easy to be sour after, after losing like that. And, you know, it's so close. Just two games away from the World Series, and, and you can't do it, but... Yeah, he went over and he, he told him to to go win it. So good on Dave Roberts. And don't forget, Jared, John Lackey, too. Another former uh, Red Sox. I miss John Lackey so much. Um, <laughs> I saw a shirt in my drawer today. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Did not buy it. Some, some, somebody bought it for me. And I, at the time, it was when he was sucking. And I was like, I don't want this stupid shirt. And then two years later, I'm like, I love this shirt. <laughs> yeah, right? It's amazing how a piece of clothing can change over two years. Uh, um, yep. Obviously... You're going to see the Dodgers. They're not going anywhere. I think Dave Roberts is the right person to lead that team. They needed a change of pace, so good on them to do that. When Don, they fired Don Mattingly and brought in Dave Roberts, so they're not going to go anywhere. Um, they'll probably they'll be back next year. But that being said, Cubs are going to the World Series, uh, and they're going to face the Cleveland Indians, who won their series against the Blue Jays in the ALCS in five games. Um, previously, obviously, taking sweeping the Red Sox as well. So this is a team, guys, where you lose your two arguably your two of your best pitchers, if not your two best pitchers, for the, the rest of the season. And people write you off against the Red Sox. You overcome that and sweep the crap out of the Red Sox. And then you go to the ALCS, and, ex- and everyone expects a series, maybe even the Blue Jays, to win, to go back to the World Series, or to go to the World Series, excuse me, and then you beat them in five games. Their pitching is something that we kept doubting them on, and that's what that's what they got them over the hump to get them to the World Series, which is crazy to me, considering the, the the lack of pitching they have now with those two guys out. Yeah, I mean it's it's ridiculous when you count you can count a team out just from their pitching, and you know you, they just came back and they were like, "Don't count us out just because we don't have two pitchers on our roster," and they just I don't think there's anything they can't do. It's really amazing. They they held Toronto to eight runs in five games. They won two nothing, two one, four two, lost five to one, and won three nothing. So they gave up five of those eight runs in one game, and and, and just f- three runs the rest of the series. They shut they shut Toronto out twice, and this is with like we said, two of their th- three best pitchers not not pitching. And they said we don't care. We'll have Trevor Bauer go out in the first inning and have the bullpen pitch the whole rest of the game. We'll bring out Ryan Merritt to go pitch, and he's. No one even knows who the guy is. He pitches four and two-thirds shutout innings, and they shut out the team to go to the World Series. It's just teams coming, players coming out of nowhere to, to pitch great, and, and they won all these low-scoring games. And I read an article that said that all these teams that they faced were the ones coming up with the excuses now when all the Indians had to do was make an excuse. All they could have said was, no, they don't have Salazar and Carrasco. We, don't, we, we can't win. We're not good enough. We need pitching. We don't have pitching. All we have is Kluber. Yet, all the other teams, the Red Sox, what happened? Why didn't we win? We just got swept by a team with no pitching. The Jays, oh, we have a really fantastic offense. We just got eight runs in five games. These are 
built-in excuses, and we're sitting here making excuses for these teams that don't have excuses. Yet the Indians, a team that has excuses, is just blowing everyone away. It's incredible. I think it shows the strong presence of what they have in the clubhouse. You know, obviously Frank Kona, we all know what he can do for a, a clubhouse, but having veteran presence, I, I go back to Mike Napoli. He's really good for a locker room, um, and to see him in there in the clubhouse, and I love, as much as I hated seeing the Red Sox lose to them, I love watching Mike Napoli party antics. They're fantastic. I love watching them win now. Um, and what the veteran presence does, obviously Andrew Miller as well, um, these guys, these veteran presidents who's, who've, who've done it, who've won. Francona has won with a lot less. Um, Mike Napoli won it on a team that shouldn't have won. He knows what it's like to have adversity. Um, and it's big for this team because this is the kind of team now that has the ultimate adversity, and now people just wrote them off because of, those, because of Salazar and Crasco being out. Guys, this is a team that was favored to win the World Series, or at least go to the World Series for almost the entire season. So, yeah, you've got to be right. Think that they're probably pissed off that people are now writing them off. And something else you've got to think about is Michael Brantley, too. He played, like, two weeks of the season, and he was supposed to be one of their best players. He's missed the whole year. So between Salazar, Carrasco, and Brantley missing the whole year, it's really incredible what they've done. And, I mean, it just goes to show you how good of a manager Francona is because he's the kind of guy to be like, well, you know, we lost players. So we still have good players, and we're going to get the best out of everyone. That's that's what he's so good at. He's so good at getting the best out of whatever he has, even if they're not the best players. And how bad do you think the Yankees are kicking themselves right now? Because Andrew Miller and Aroldis Chapman were teammates at one point this year, and now they are both headed for the World Series for separate teams. And they were great with the Yankees. Whoops. <laughs> Whoopsies. <laughs> we should have held on to them and you know, be good for the future, maybe. Yeah, or, or just not. a little bit, right? Um, one thing that we should touch on too in this series, because obviously the Blue Jays were cold and obviously now you're going to start seeing the hearing names pop up, you know, and Canarcion could we come to the Red Sox and all that stuff. And that's off season talk. We're not there yet. Um, but Trevor Bauer was one guy that really helped the pitching and what they were able to do, um, against the Red Sox and then coming into this series. But we also found out that he's probably a psychopath, like clinically insane. Um, if you didn't see it, I'm sure you did, but the, the fact that Trevor Bauer's finger looked like it was falling off um, because he had stitches that came out after he was playing with his drone or something and he got sliced up. But um, his stitches that he got came out and he looked like he lost a finger on the mound. It was gushing. It was bleeding everywhere. Um, The guy wanted to stay in the game for one. And two, he also said that he was going to cauterize it himself in his hotel room the night before, but the team wouldn't let him. Um, He literally wanted to take an iron to his finger. So it wouldn't. So the wound would would like stay shut. Kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of got the crazy eyes too when he talks about it. And you know, I, I can't imagine cutting myself on a drone from like my fingernail to my second knuckle, let alone trying to pitch with ten stitches in one of my fingers. And I think it's what blows my mind too is that the MLB has this rule where he can't, he couldn't cover the stitches, which I almost feel like that's just. Like, it's almost like a common sense. I don't know if you guys have ever had stitches, but I've had to keep mine covered or, like, bandaged or something. I wasn't also going out throwing a 100-mile-an-hour fastball either. But and the fact that he went out there and he just kind of looked at it as if it was nothing. He looked down while it was gushing. He's like, no, whatever, I'm just going to keep throwing. And just, like, his comments he's made, like, he's obviously a very strong player but at the same time it's like does this guy have bodies in his basement like what's going on like why well, you're not a human like you're not you're like superhuman or something well it's stitches like you're supposed to have a bandage like you said lauren because 
if you don't have a bandage, then there's a chance they can come apart. Like, you, you wrap them up for the beginning so they don't come out. And that clearly didn't work because he just bled everywhere. Should have just taken it. Literally, like it literally looked like he had like a skin disease. It was so disgusting looking. It was just dripping. And it was just like crusted over. It was so disgusting. Should have taken the. He just should have taken the iron to the finger. Should have just done it. Yeah, seriously. Oh. I mean, maybe, maybe he could have fished longer. I don't know. He's he's crazy. I don't know how he did that, but he's. Yeah, they took him out, which they should have. Obviously, hopefully, he can get it. Get it better so he can pitch, but he's, he's crazy say, enough to do that. Is he gonna is he gonna pitch in the World Series? Uh yeah, game two. Is that crazy. what it was? Yeah, I saw an article that said Trevor Bauer wants to pitch every game of the World Series. The Rangers just want healthy. <laughs> of course, he said he wants to pitch every. Oh, I love, I love, but see, I love menta- mentality like that. You know, you don't have guys like that anymore. And I hate, first of all, hated the fact that people were comparing it to Schilling's bloody sock. Like, no, not the same thing. Um, but that being said, I do love guys who are willing to pitch through everything and who are psychopaths. Because as a starting pitcher, sometimes you have to be a little crazy. Um, as long as you're mentally strong and want to be on the mound, being crazy can be okay because it gets you fired up. And I think uh, Trevor Bauer has a little bit of the crazy in him. So um, obviously we're excited to see him into the World Series. Cubs-Indians starts Tuesday. Um, definitely excited to kind of get that series going for sure. All right, and of course we're, we'll do get back to the World Series, do a little World Series predictions, of course, Uh towards the end of the show, but we, there is some Red Sox stuff to talk about. Um, and one thing that we want to talk about, we all know David Ortiz was hurt. We know that. That's why he's retiring. You know, he, his feet are killing him, blah, blah, blah. We've heard the story. But one story that has come out now since the end of the season um, between him, obviously, and, and Dan Derrick, who was his doctor, who has he told him that he had to travel with him all year, basically, to play. Um Dan Derek came out and said that David Ortiz was practically playing on stumps, on wooden stumps, because that's how bad his feet were. Um, I don't know if that's an over-exaggeration, guys, but I didn't realize it was that bad. No, me either. And, you know, like you said, we all knew it was bad. We all know, knew he had, like, he was exhausted. And, I mean, I get exhausted just from standing on my feet for X <laughs> amount of hours. So I can't imagine, you know, being 40 and trying to just, live life day by day and I mean he led the league in doubles and he had the like terrible feet I was it makes you wonder what he could have accomplished and I know we kind of touched on that in the previous show if his if he was 100% healthy and but just to compare it walking on stumps like that just sounds so painful yeah, I always think of trees tree stumps <laughs> I mean it's, yeah it's, it's he had no flexibility in his feet there was no like movement like his feet just like crunched to the floor it's crazy i mean i kind of had an idea that it was this bad because i just read several articles just being like he needs like four five six hours of treatment before every game and i'm like that sounds incredibly bad if you need that much treatment he's got to get there super early he was still in pain even with that sometimes i could tell it was really bad you know you don't know exactly what it is until you hear the exact details but like i could tell by like what you read and like what he was talking about that it was really really bad yeah, well, and and I think after reading this and understanding really what he was going through on a day-to-day basis, and plus obviously with the emotional farewell, if anyone thinks he's coming back, and I know I said this last week too, but hearing all this other stuff that's coming out now, if anyone thinks he's coming back, they're probably crazy at this point, right? Like, he's got to be done. It I makes you think... just want to go through that again. I mean, you know he wants to play, and but I, my brother had a really good theory two weeks ago, um that they would 
like they would um, sign him to a contract where Ortiz only played home games. And I was like, oh, that's great. Sign him right now. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> home games yeah, and playoff games? Yeah, right. Uh, I don't know if we didn't get that far. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. Well, no, just with the whole farewell tour in addition, I mean, that that right there is kind of hard to take back. And then in addition to knowing how bad his feet are, there's no way he's coming back. He's 40 years old. He's had a great career. He's one of the few that actually went out on top. And, you know, in terms of losing in the playoffs, I mean, you could tell how tired he was after the regular season, after all that stuff, like to, to do more in the playoffs. I think he just ran out of gas, and everyone ran out of gas with him. It just kind of happened all at once. So... I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, obviously he wanted to win a World Series, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was okay with it when they lost because he was just like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> this whole David Ortiz retirement thing, like the way it ended, might as well have been ripping a Band-Aid off. Like it just all of a sudden just all came off at once. It wasn't the slow, subtle, subtle like putting soap in there and making sure the Band-Aid comes off easily, like get winning a World Series. Like they just ripped the crap out of it when all of a sudden they just lost and he was like, oh, cool. I guess I'm done playing. Um <laughs> Oh, that was it? Okay. Uh, we're done? Oh, that's it? Okay. I should probably still get by. Oh, I guess I'll start crying now. Like, <laughs> I didn't realize how bad this was. And seeing the preparation he does, he, I mean, he talked about it when he announced his retirement, how he, it's the struggle is getting ready for the season. Um, and I can only imagine now, knowing what he's dealing with, the struggle of what, what, what really a struggle of getting ready for the season really is. Because what he's, used, what he's prepping for, what he needs to get his feet ready and his body ready for, seeing all this information come out really makes you understand what he was talking about for real. And it's funny, too, because, like, people make fun of him for, like, oh, we'll go slow, yes, you can't run to first base. Like, no crap, no wonder he couldn't run to first base. <laughs> it takes a long time to get those those stumps moving, you know? <laughs> hey, those stumps can't be light either, heavy. Right? He had the stumps custom. He had the stumps custom made, so. <laughs> it makes you wonder, like, how much of an impact he had on on his teammates, you know, when you see how much he's struggling, I'm sure, you know, people like Pedroia and everyone else was seeing the day-to-day struggle that he faced. And I almost wonder, like, seeing him struggle in the playoffs, if that kind of brought them down too, where it's like, that's their leader. And that's the guy they've turned to for so many years, especially in 2013. And now he's almost just like crumbling under their, under their feet. No pun intended. And when you read this, when you read this article too, it, it explains that, it wasn't like something that just kind of popped up. It's something where they try to deal with it like a normal situation, like dealing, g- giving it like anti-inflammatory meds and all this stuff to really just help the sw- like swelling that he had issues with and just help that pain go away. But it just didn't get better, um, and they just didn't know what to do. And at this point, it was wrapping and icing and treating enough to get him to play and hit every day. And now you understand why he didn't play first base as much towards the end or didn't want to play first base because this is something that wasn't just a one-year thing. He's been dealing with this probably for the last five years. Yeah, I mean, it really started in 2012. He's been kind of kind of going through this for several years. Back when he had the Achilles injury, he missed like two months of the season, and it just kept getting worse. Of course, you can't play the field here. Got that problem? He can barely even hit for Christ's sake. Like he's sitting there, he's sitting there, barely even able to run to first base. So, I mean, it's incredible what he did to get back. You know, a lot of people thought he was done after 2012, 2011, 2012. They're like, oh, he's done, and he wanted to prove him wrong, so he came back and he did more. He won the World Series. He got a ton of treatment and just kept rolling for several more years so i think it really was just just time and i don't i don't know if there's this much thought that goes into it but like in terms of the playoff series this year like like you said lauren everyone kind of fizzled out at once and they're like oh my god our leader is like 
falling apart here, but like you can kind of kind of think like, oh, we want to win the World Series for David, but once they see how much he's struggling, it's like, why don't we just lose for David and get him out of here so we can stop playing? <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, probably like, doing him better justice winning. I mean, losing than winning. Seriously. Like, we don't want to make, make him play like 12, 15 more games on these feet. He's already played this whole season. <laughs> and I don't think, I think a lot of people overlook, too, like how much strain that these players put on their feet. Because I know some people will make the argument that baseball players don't move around much. They're not as athletic as other athletes, but you think about it, they're constantly on their feet. They have to move from left to right, whatever position they're playing. And especially when they're batting, your entire weight is goes to your feet. Like when I played softball, my stance was completely on my right leg. Like all my weight went to my right leg until I was ready to swing. It just completely went to my left. So it's like they don't understand how much weight and how much pressure is on these players' feet. 24-7. Day after day after day after day after day. No days off. No breaks or anything like that. And we have someone like Pedroia who jumps on every single pitch. It's, it's a lot. Yeah, it's it's a lot. And um, in terms of David Ortiz, I think that it, it, it was the right time. I think we all understand now. We're going to hear more and more stuff come out. Uh, at some point, there'll be books. At some point, there'll be more interviews. and So we're going to understand really what he was going through. But all in all, obviously a great career. We all love David, um, and I think it was his time, which is good, but it's still crazy to hear that he was playing on stumps because that's it really shows. It's just, it's okay. just absurd how how well he played this year going through all that and going through all the retirement stuff and everyone giving him stuff and everything. I don't know how he did it. The guy's incredible. Yeah, no, he definitely is. Um, and I, I seeing all this and seeing what he went through, um, you got to give him more credit for playing so well all year, um, seeing how hurt he really was. So um, obviously a huge year for him. Uh, one other really kind of not really important Red Sox news situation, but there was an article. Um, it, it brought it up on Mass Live, but I, originally it was Nick Cafardo on the Sun, in the Sunday Globe who really brought it up. Um, potentially the Red Sox interest in Ian Desmond this next year, um, come, come this winter. Um, and I can't say I hate the idea, guys, because – the way they compared it to was basically like a righty, right-handed version of Brock Holt. Um, he would be good for this team because he's, he's starting to play outfield now too. So he can play most infield positions and the outfield. Um, obviously knows how to be on a good team. I think he would do well here. I think it's something you have to consider, especially if you're looking at maybe trading one of your kind of key guys like Jackie Bradley or or Benatendi or someone like that to get a starting pitcher or whatever Dombrowski wants to do. Um, it's definitely an option for sure, and I wouldn't hate the idea. I mean, I wouldn't hate the idea either if we didn't need pitching so badly. Like, you hear how they want to go after Encarnacion, now you're hearing Ian Desmond. It's like, why aren't we hearing about them going after a Chris Sale or any kind of starting pitcher? Um, I mean, I think he'd do well here. He has good numbers. He's not a bad player by any means. But I just don't think he's a, a need right now for the team. Yeah, I think you'd want to get him if if certain things happen. Like you said, Jared, if you end up trading someone to get somebody to get a really good pitcher, like if there's a as a need to fill, he can play multiple positions. So you can kind of base it off of like what you maybe do because he can play outfield, short, third, first. He can play a lot of positions. So I mean, he's 31 years old, but he's a two-time All Star, three-time Silver Slugger, 22 homers, 86 RBI last year. Like he's a good play, 29 doubles. He's a good player. So if if you do end up needing him, you could be a really good guy to have. Yeah, and I, I think that it's definitely an option. Obviously, they're going to have a lot of options. Um, but I, like you said, Jess, I think it's a good option to have if and when you need him. Um, and that's obviously – it's not going to be your first move by any means because Ian Desmond would be a domino of something 
bigger that already had happened, whether that be uh, a trade to get rid of Jackie Bradley to get Chris Sale or or something like to that nature, but who knows. But I think your first priority is pitching, and then even then I would still look at it bringing in Carnacion in um, to play first base for this team next year. So a lot of options, um, but definitely a good one to keep on the eye for sure. Yeah, because if you if you get him first, I mean, you could get him first, but then you have to make some other move to like fit him in, because at the moment, if you get him, you go, oh, let's put him in the outfield. Okay, well, not really a place for that. Oh, you put him at third. Okay, so we're just going to give up on Pablo Sandoval again. Like, put him at first. Okay, what about Hanley Ramirez, Encarnacion? Well, like, this, there's a lot of places you could put him, but, like, none of them really makes sense yet. Yeah, no, you don't. You you want to figure out what you're bringing him in to do once you know the bigger moves. You don't want to make a trade based off Ian Desmond. That'd be dumb. Um, you want to bring in Ian Desmond based off whatever you do first. And I think that... Um, just moving forward, obviously, we'll keep an eye on everything offseason and things like that. But uh, we definitely, um, I mean, I definitely think that's a good option for sure. Um, and before we get into anything MLB, uh, we'll get back to the World Series and, and stuff that's going on around the lovely cur- curse of the Billy Goat um, that's going to come full circle. And I cannot uh, wait for this to be over just because we're going to get so many videos of the old school Cubs and all that crap. And, oh, I'm not looking forward to it. But that being said, um, one thing we wanted to do was um, kind of go through the written coverage is like season in review piece that if you guys haven't seen it, go check it out on the CLNS website, but uh, it was a good piece. So I'm going to leave that to Jess because, you know, he's in charge of the written coverage. So I want to go through that, just kind of recap what the guys and the, and the girls wrote and the lads wrote um, to kind of recap what was a decent season overall. Yeah, we can show our answers here and Jared, you can give your thoughts on them because obviously you didn't give an answer, so we'll hear what you have to say. Um, yeah, first question we had was who was the Red Sox MVP? Nice and simple. Um, got some interesting answers here, and a lot of different ones, actually. Um, I said David Ortiz, for all the reasons that we all know, because he's incredible. <laughs> um, <laughs> Lauren said John Farrell. We'll get to that in a minute, Lauren. We'll have you explain that. <laughs> um, Adam said um, David Ortiz as well. Lars said Hanley Ramirez. He said he he said Betts and Ortiz are the obvious choices, but Hanley deserves recognition for what he brought to the team, having one of the better seasons of his career, and uh, obviously being in the five slot was a huge deal behind Ortiz. So Hanley for Lars, uh, and obviously his first base work when it was could have been a disaster. Um, Nick said um, Rick Porcello. Um, Nick Qualia said Nick uh, Rick Porcello. Mike said Apani said David Ortiz, and Nick Tasso said. He bets. So we had a lot of different answers. Jared, before we get to your answer, Lauren, I gotta have you gotta give <laughs> you gotta give everyone an explanation on John Farrell because clearly no one else said that. Yeah, you do. And I'm not really surprised that no one else said that. I mean, I said going into the season he was going to be the X factor. He's going to be the person to really watch out for. And it's true. It it he came. He really turned the team around. You know, he they finished last place last season and. Granted, we know why he got his job back this past season, and he was on the hot seat, and he knew that. And although he did make questionable decisions, you know, Stephen Wright, blah, 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 we could argue that for days, that he cost this team some games. But we're not going to get into that again. But when you have a manager who comes in here um, after the whole Bobby Valentine era and just takes his team and goes from worst to first to worst to worst to first, I think that's how it went. Um, you got to give the guy credit because no, it's not just him. He didn't do it alone, but he's, he's the manager. He's the one who gets 
the heat. He's the one who gets the blame. He's the one who gets the praise. So he comes in here, 93 wins after a really crappy season last year. And I know they kind of fell apart against the Indians with the sweep and everything, but you can't blame this guy for, for 93 wins after last season. I mean, yeah, I, I see what you're talking about, obviously, because, you know, from 70 wins, wherever they hit 75 wins to, to 92 and uh, 93. And just to lead this team from a, a, a last place finish to, to first, I mean, you definitely got to give them some credit. I don't know about MVP, but I certainly see what you're talking about in terms of kind of taking what you said from being on the hot seat, being the X factor, you leading the team to a first place finish. There's got to be something said for that. I'm sure you disagree, Jared. Yeah, I do. You know I do. <laughs> um, I think he's just – I don't think he's the reason why you've won any of these games, but he obviously – I'm not saying he was completely awful, but I just don't think it's MVP, especially with all the other candidates that are there. Um, that being What's said – What's Jared? That being said, I, th- I think I, I agree with the Hanley Ramirez decision, um, which is crazy wow. to me. But that being said, he, what he did for this team this year was insane. Um, the way he hit the bat, the way he kind of let – basically the reasoning why I give it to him too is – We've had, he's had so many issues over the years off the field that him just coming in this year and enjoying baseball again is a big a big deal. And then he came back and really just did well at first base and hit the crap out of the ball for most of the year. So have, I, I, nods off to Hanley this year. Yeah, I mean, for someone you wouldn't expect to do really anything to hit 30 home runs and 111 RBI, which is why, brings me right to the next question, our next question was, what was the biggest surprise in the Red Sox this season? And I said Hanley Ramirez for all those reasons. The fact that he hit 30 homers, 111 RBI, and being a huge, huge factor in the five spot, and then playing really well in the field, too, which was also a surprise. I mean, that just screams biggest surprise to me, which is why I said that, which is why I thought it was fair to say Ortiz MVP, Hanley, biggest surprise. Um, even though I obviously wanted to say Rick Porcello with 22 wins, but... Um, I had to go with Hanley on that. So other answers. Lauren said Rick Porcello. Um, Adam said Rick Porcello. He, he said the biggest surprise is him leading the majors in wins and actually resembling a pitcher worthy of $80 million. We go on about Adam all day long because he thinks that he's not going to do it ever again and he thinks he's not going to be good after this year. That's his problem. Um, <laughs> so, so, he, so he picked Porcello. Um, Lars said Sandy Leone, which I love because he was the fourth catcher coming into the season and he hit almost over 400 for like three quarters of the season. So I like that answer. Uh, Nick said Stephen Wright for getting 13 wins by August, which was out of nowhere. Uh, Mike said Rick Porcello. And uh, Nick Tasso said the biggest surprise was that John Farrell finished the season as the Red Sox manager. So um, Lauren, obviously pretty obvious why you pick Rick Porcello. Um, A lot of different answers here too. Jared, what's your biggest surprise? Uh, I'm going to keep it simple. Rick Porcello for sure. A guy yeah. wins went 20 games and the year before couldn't get out of his own way. Has to be the biggest surprise. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, Jess. I was torn between him and Hanley Ramirez as well. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm like, and I, as you said, the Both obvious answer. Yeah, as you said, the obvious answer was Hanley. I'm like, in my mind, the obvious answer was Porcello. So. Well, if you want to give two, biggest surprise on offense, Hanley, biggest pitching surprise, Porcello. <laughs> Perfect. And I don't really think I need to go into any explanation. Like, Rick Porcello is probably going to win the Cy Young. So, there's that. Forward to that. Yeah. So, so those are your biggest surprises. Uh, let me get to the biggest disappointment section here. This is a great one. Um, I obviously went with David Price because I couldn't not. And really, my reasons were that, yes, I was 
thrilled that he had 17 wins and 228 strikeouts. That's great, but he wasn't an ace. He didn't have an ace mindset. He put the size out of numerous games at, by going two or three innings and giving up eight, eight runs. He gave up 30 home runs, which is terrible. His ERA was 399, which is not good for an ace, and it was way worse for most of the season. So, like, yes, he was durable. Yes, he had a lot of strikeouts, but he was not an ace, and he was a huge disappointment for what we were looking for. So he was my disappointment. Uh, Lawrence was Craig Kimbrell. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, Adams was... Um, his biggest disappointment was that John Farrell made it through the season. So <laughs> kind of like what, what Nick Tassa said in the last question. Uh, Lars said the biggest disappointment was the ALD, ALDS sweep, which is definitely true because that was a huge disappointment. Um, Nick Qualia said David Bryce for all the same reasons I said. Um, Mike said upon he said Pablo Sandoval because he basically didn't hit the field for all purposes. <laughs> and uh, Nick Tassu said Xander Bogarts because he fell off so hard at the end of the season. So definitely interesting ones there. Um, Lauren Kimbrell, you're the only one, actually the only one who said him. So thoughts? I think that's kind of a big disappointment to me, too, that I'm the only one who said that. But, I mean, I could have gone the whole bullpen as the biggest disappointment. But, you know, Kimbrell, we signed him. There was so much hype around him. And he he was a lot of fun to watch in the beginning, you know, with all the hype, the buildup. And I don't know if... It's the, you know, the whole first year jitters. We can give excuse after excuse and then it's injury. And, you know, this is a guy who's supposed to have 40 plus saves. And I know I predicted him to have 45 saves and he just, you know, walk after walk. And it's not that he pitched bad either. It was just no, the walk. Really and it was just little baby mistakes. And I feel like we shouldn't have that from a closer. You know, you think back like Jonathan Toppelman and, you know, think a guy named Andrew Miller. So it's... <laughs> It's just I was really like looking forward to having him here and having him be kind of like a Jonathan Palpabon kind of person and kind of with that attitude. And, of course, I love that stance that he has. But it's when we have so much pitching trouble and Carson Smith going down early, I really thought he would be able to step up and play the role as closer. And obviously he couldn't this year. Yeah, he was really the bullpen equivalent of David Price, one of the best closers in the league, and he just walked too many, and he blew too many games. So I totally understand that. Which, yeah, I'm surprised. Only a couple of David Price and just you for Kimbrell. A lot of different answers. So, Jared, what do you got? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I'm actually going to go with Carson Smith because oh, wow. he was supposed to be the guy who, who was supposed to be the eighth-inning guy and come in here and really lock down this bullpen and – you saw a taste of it when he came back from the injury and then he got hurt again. So I think the big, I, I label him as the biggest disappointment because he was, had high expectations. So did Kimbrell, but at least we saw Kimbrell. Carson Smith couldn't even get on the field. Right. That's kind of like your, your, my, your equivalent to Mike's answer with Pablo, like mm-hmm. being the dis- biggest disappointment on offense. Cause he, he played he had six at bats. <laughs> he yep. didn't even, he didn't do anything. So all different ways of looking at it. I definitely don't agree with the Bogarts one for Nick Tasso. I respect I respect it, and it makes sense because he fell off so hard. But overall, I mean, there was a lot bigger disappointments than, than him. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah, so I don't, don't agree with that. But that's cool. Everyone has a right to their own opinion. Um, this one's a good one. What position the stocks need to improve on the most during the offseason? I said DH because for the first time in 13 years... The Red Sox won't have David Ortiz. So they need to figure out what to put at DH, who to put at first, and who to put at third, which obviously we had this conversation in the last show. What what are we going to do with that position? So that's my my position, just to see what will happen with that situation. Uh, Lauren said the bullpen. Um, 
Adam said the same thing as I did. Just like, what are they going to do with not having Ortiz? What are they going to do with that spot? Um, Lars also said the pitching because the offense was not the problem this year. The pitching was the problem. Um, Nick Wally said third base, figuring out who the heck should play third and who is going to play third. Should hopefully should be Paulo Sandoval if he can do anything, but who knows if we can if we can uh, count on that. Um, Mike said DH and starting pitching. Nick Tasso said third base also. So a lot of third base, a lot of DH. You know, some pitching. Um, I guess Lauren, we'll start with you. Why why you picked the bullpen over like the DH third base third first base situation? Um, well, with third base, you know, I know they have options, and I know it's going to be interesting to see what gets done, whether they try to get rid of Sandoval or if they're going to put Shaw there, or what they're going to do with Holt. Like, there's a lot of questions over that, but, I mean, with the bullpen, we saw so many experiments this year. Like, you know, Joe Kelly was there, Buckles was there, Pomeranz was there. That's three starting pitchers that were once in our rotation that were in the bullpen. Um, you know, Koji's 41 years old, um, looking out for Kimbrell again next year. Carson Smith hopefully will be, you know, if close to, if not 100%. And I'm, I just, I'm really interested in what, what they're gonna do if they're gonna try to improve the bullpen, if they're gonna try to move, you know, Kelly or Buckholes, whether that's trade or put them back in the starting rotation, or whatever they're gonna decide to do. And I'm, I'm also interested to see what the bullpen's gonna do next year too. It's, you know, if they're gonna step up or if they're gonna get their act together and be like, okay, like if they need to count on us, like if we had a Trevor Bauer situation when one of our pitchers taking out two thirds of an inning, we'd be like, crap, we're going to lose this game. Like 27 to two. <laughs> uh, probably true. Unfortunately. Yeah. Those are definitely all good points. Jared, I'm, I pretty much probably already know what you're going to say, but what position do you think they need to improve? Um, I'm actually going to say third base. Well, I thought um, you were going to say the bullpen. All right. No, I mean, they do need to fix the bullpen, but um, I think third base is a bigger issue than people are kind of liming, shutting the light on for because, you don't know what you're getting with Pablo Sandoval, and Travis Shaw was a train wreck. So right now you have no options there. Um, so I hope Pablo Sandoval comes back, but you're banking on a guy who can't stay on the field because of an eating issue to come back healthy and ready to go. Um, so I, I think that's a big problem. Yeah. No, I think they're definitely the two biggest problems. I think we kind of all nailed that. Um, so interesting stuff. Uh, the next question was, do you support the team bringing back John Farrell for the next season? I really recommend everyone going and looking at these answers because they are very different for everyone. Um, just quickly running over, I said I support him because they won 93 games. Lawrence said the same thing for the same reason. Adam said no. He said hell no, actually, um, and gave a lot of reasons why he hates his guts. So I don't think he even had much to do with bringing it back. It just was Adam's outlet to say that he hated John Farrell's guts. Um <laughs> <laughs> so that was that. So check that out. Uh, Lars said that it was hard to justify a manager after winning the division, but that he does have problems with in-game things. So he kind of said, like, improve that, and I'm fine with it. If you don't improve that, no. So that was kind of a good, like, back-and-forth answer. Uh, Nick Qualley is totally against having him come back. Mike's totally against it, too. And Nick Tasso is completely against it as well. Jared, I know you are, too, right? You know my, you know my answer. Yeah. So if you don't want to say anything about that, because we've talked about it quite a bit, that's cool. Um, but then the final thing was just thoughts on David Ortiz. Uh, I'm definitely not going to read everyone's responses because they were all pretty long and detailed and sappy, which is what I wanted. Um, so I'm glad I got that. Um, but definitely read it for yourself. Um, it's called Boston Red Sox 2016 Season in Review. 
the last article posted on our website from uh, a couple weeks, uh, a couple days ago. So make sure you go check it out. It's great. Um, good end of the season piece. Um, and yeah, I mean, a good season overall. Just just ended poorly, but maybe that's what Ortiz wanted. <laughs> <laughs> maybe just wanted to stop playing. Um, obviously, good stuff. If you haven't read it yet, go read it. Um, this might we, we quickly, entertaining read for sure. Quickly got through answers, but there's a lot there. Um, so definitely go out and check it out. Um, and, of course, again, it's on CLNSRadio.com. Just go to the Red Sox section. It'll be right up there. Um, yeah, so one thing we want to do um, before we obviously um, move on is we do want to go back to the um, the kind of World Series and talk about what's going on here. Um, guys, before we do any predictions or anything like that, I want you guys to give me um, your biggest storyline going into this World Series. What are you looking forward to the most? And there's plenty of storylines. There's options. You know, you got Theo Tito, uh, just all the Red Sox in general, uh, Billy the Goat, of course, all that. So what what's the biggest storyline that has you intrigued? Because this was the dream matchup. Cleveland Indians, Chicago Cubs, who was left? This is who everyone wanted to play each other. So there's a lot of options. Yeah, I mean, there's so much I'm looking forward to in in this series. I mean, I think it's really – I'm just – Cleveland's pitching and the Cubs' offense. Like I, I'm really looking forward to that. I really think it's going to be kind of a pitch duel the entire series, no matter how many games it goes. And I think I'm really looking forward to that. And of course, I'm looking forward to you know former Red Sox versus former Red Sox on both sides. Honestly, for me, it's like none of the players have this this problem of never winning or like having this streak. It's the franchise. The Indians haven't won since 1948. Cubs haven't won since 1908. But everyone else has. Theo mm-hmm. Epstein has, has two championships. Terry Francona has two championships. John Lester has two championships. John Lackey does too. David Ross has a championship. Mike Napoli has a championship. All these guys have championships. So what, basically, the, my storyline is seeing which of these players that already has championships with other teams is going to step up and get the championship for their franchise that hasn't had one in so long. Because it's not about the players. You know, it's like, oh, my God, Terry Francona back with the Indians. That's great, but he's won. Theo Epstein, he's won. They've all won. So it's really not about that at all. It's, you know, it's not about the players winning. It's about it's about the franchise because that's the storyline is these teams haven't won in so long. But the players have. So it's all up to them who's going to play better. That's what it is. Yeah, and, and it's cool because... Seeing all them, it's not like all these people, all these players were someone where we had and then we didn't win with them. They did bring you guys World Series championships. So as much as obviously you're bitter that they're gone, especially because the way Lester left, the way Lackey was traded for like nothing, um, you, you're bitter about that. But that being said, you, they still did win the Red Sox championship uh, in multiple for a lot of these people, in cases for some of these people. So not bitter. It's, I'm intrigued by a few things going into the World Series and... I think the biggest thing for me has to be um, the Theo Tito storyline. I love it. I, I eat that up because we all support Theo or Tito. Um, Tito left, obviously, with the fried chicken and beer situation, and Theo left, obviously, because Larry Lucchino didn't get along with him. Uh, and that was a big issue, and ownership obviously sided with Larry Lucchino, and we know they made the wrong decision. And me personally, I am on the side of, of Theo Epstein um, in terms of, who handled in the wrong way, but that being said, I am rooting for Terry Francona um, because I wish he was still the manager of this team, and I think he is a player's manager, but he he um, he got kind of screwed the way he was left. Obviously, it was time 
for him to go, I think. But that being said, the ownership did not handle his departure the right way. Um, I'm rooting for the Cleveland Indians, but that storyline is kind of the most intriguing to me just because of that whole situation that we had here. Yeah, that's a good point. Something else I want to bring up is just look at the two managers. You got Terry Franco and you got Joe Madden, Franco for the Indians, Madden for the Cubs. Both these guys managed with other teams and brought those teams from you know to, to greatness. Franco and I brought the Red Sox to World Series in 2004 and made them consistently 90 plus win teams almost every season. And that and now he went to the Indians, took a team that was like a 65 70 win team and brought them to the World Series again. Joe Madden, he brought a crappy Tampa Bay team, the Devil Rays. He brought them from absolute garbage to the World Series in 2008. He got them to the World Series. They didn't win, but he brought them to the World Series. And now he took the Cubs, a terrible team, crappy 71 team, to the World Series again. Both these man- these guys have to be two of the best managers ever because they have an uncanny knack of getting teams that are horrible and getting them to the World Series just like you know, two to four, five years later. It's amazing. That's, I think that's another huge storyline, just the fact that these managers are so good. Yeah, yeah. and it's crazy. When you think about where they both have come from, you know, obviously Tito, like how he left Boston, but also what he did while he was here, and then Joe Madden, you know, with the Rays, and just coming to the Cubs and really just kind of turn his organization around along with Theo. So, I mean, it's going to be such a great series between, you know, management players, offense, defense. It's just, it's everything you want in a World Series. Yeah, so the storylines are obviously going to be fun. I think that um, really going to be able to enjoy all of them. And of course, um, the storylines as well as obviously all the Red Sox things we talked about uh, was brought to you by Audible. And of course, we do um, we do love having Audible on as a sponsor. We want to make sure we got them in there. Um before we get out of here, though, um, obviously there is um, storylines to go along with the World Series, but there's also um, ticket prices. And I do want to tick on, touch on the ticket prices as well um, before we do um, obviously make our predictions and get out of here for the week to enjoy the World Series. Um, guys, it's obscenely high. Um, Cleveland, first two games, um, the minimum you're going to get in for for game one is $938 um, and 884 that's the minimum. Median price for World Series tickets in Cleveland is 2100 or 2200 for games one and two, respectively. That's in Cleveland. Now, if you go to Chicago for games three and four, um, the minimum you can pay to get in for game three is basically $2,000. And game four is 2600 Just to get into Wrigley Field, you have to pay two grand for game three. Like, who can afford these seats? That's sick. <laughs> it's I, it so sick. Me, it makes me wonder, like, what do these people do for work, or like, what does their savings account look like? I mean, obviously, if I had the money to do something like that, I would be all about it. But I, I don't. I don't even have the money to go to like playoff games. So, like, Red Sox ALDS playoff games, and it's ridiculous that these people will pay these prices and they'll sell out every single game. I say this, I say it every time. It's like three hours of baseball. Why are you spending $2,000 for three hours of baseball? Yes, I know what the situation is. I get it, but it's not worth it. That's insane. What, can you justify coming back home after the game? It's midnight, and you're like, huh, I just have uh, just I have $2,000 less than I did, and I just spent $2,000 on a ticket. It's three hours. It's ridiculous. I don't get 
how anybody can justify that. Being the hugest sports fan that I am, I can't justify that. It's it's, it's insane. Yeah, no, it's it's ridiculous. And and that was just the minimum. Uh, the median price for Chicago is fifty five hundred or sixty two hundred. That's the average ticket price. Um, That's ridiculous. Game, you spend like your whole life like filling that up. It's stupid. Yeah, it's, it's baseball. It's ridiculous. Come on. For two thousand dollars, you could buy a really nice like TV and sound system. You could buy so many nice things for that. <laughs> yeah, game five, game, the Chicago, the final game that would be in in Chicago if it needed if it was needed. The median price for game five is seventy five hundred dollars. <laughs> oh sure, let me just pull that out real like, buy quick. A, buy a car that lasts you for like fifteen years. Why are you gonna pay pay it for three hours? We can just watch TV for free. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's absurd. I mean, you know that a lot of those people are, are, aren't paying for their seats. Um, a no, lot I mean, of them, and I hope like, they are. They have a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's crazy. I'm curious to see what the what face value is for those seats. Like, if you actually got them when the club put them on sale. You and, know what? My friend is going to game one in Cleveland. I'm going to have him send me a picture of his ticket. And I'm going to ask him, like, I'm be like, just send me the ticket. I don't, I won't ask questions. Just, I won't ask how much you actually paid. Just send me a picture of the actual ticket. I just want face value. Yeah. Yep. That'd be interesting. Cause I can't imagine it's, it's terribly much. Um, and it's insane. To s- yeah. It's, in- I don't think this article said it. No, I don't think it did. Um, but it's it's crazy to see those ticket prices where they are, and I'm not surprised it's the World Series. But that being said, it's also stupid. Um, so obviously, good baseball coming our way. Indians, Cubs, we 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 going through the players. I mean, this series should be really fun to watch. What are you guys expecting, and who do you guys have? I mean, I've gone back and forth on this a hundred times since last night. Um, you know, I'm I'm really impartial. Like, I, I'll i be happy with either team. I'll be happy for management either way. But I really think that this is the Cubs' year, even though at the beginning of the season I left them completely out of the playoffs. Um, I think this, it's going to go seven. I think it's going to be an intense series. I think it's going to be a stressful series. But at the end of the day, I think the Cubs are going to take this in seven. Wow. All right. Um, Jared, you going next or am I going next? You can go. All right. I've also gone back and forth this numerous times, and I didn't decide my answer until about five minutes ago. Um, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be a really fun World Series. you got the team that everyone expected to be there that hasn't won in 108 years, and you got the team that nobody expected to be there at the start of the playoffs because they don't have any players left. So vastly different situations. Cleveland's a home team because of the All-Star game, so... That might be a small consideration. Um, if the Cubs are as good as everyone thinks they are, then they shouldn't matter. But um, it's going to be a good series. And I don't want to give the Cubs more heartbreak. I'll be happy with whoever wins because, obviously, a lot of ties to both teams. But for some reason, I'm just feeling the Indians because they've played so well. They've come out of nowhere. You know, it could be a situation where they've had this great run and then they just completely fall apart, kind of like the Rockies in 2007, where they rolled through everybody and then got swept by the Red Sox. That could happen. 
but they've played so well that I feel like they're really going to keep rolling, and I think their pitching is going to continue to play well. This fairy tale ride is going to continue. Frank Cohen is going to play his magic, and the Cubs too much pressure on them with all these people, 100 year olds, 95 year olds, 90 year olds, being like, "Please win for me one more one time before I die." <laughs> too, much, too much pressure. Maybe they'll win soon, but I'm going Indians in six. I just this is a magical season for them and incredible playoffs, and I think they're going to continue it. Yeah, I, I can't imagine the times that I agree with you. Um, but that being <laughs> no. said, I, I do agree with you on this. Um, first off, I'll say Indians in seven. Um, I think they'll, they'll win at home. I think they'll take advantage of um, that home field advantage that they got from winning the World Series. Um, but that being – I mean, that winning the uh, All-Star game, excuse me. Um, I just – I can't picture them losing, Jess. You're completely right. The way they've gone through this postseason, they haven't really had too much of a blip on the radar. Um, I will see. I will say they they will have some adversity in this series. I think that they will be down at some point, um, but I think that they have nothing to lose. You know, they're they're playing uh, as much as I don't want to see Cleveland be successful because of the fact that they, the, they you know like LeBron just won the title and all this stuff, but. <laughs> I, I just think that they're right. They're going to ride high off the momentum they have. They have zero expectations. They're still not expected to win. I'm pretty sure everyone's still writing them off, despite everything they've done. Everyone is still running the Indians off because of what the Cubs can do and what the Cubs should do. That being said, I'd like. To, I'm taking the underdog in this World Series. I'm taking the Indians in seven, um, and I think Terry Francona throws up a giant middle finger to everyone in the Red Sox organization by coming back with them and winning the World Series. Or just everybody, period, because that would be his third championship. Which oh, is I know, right? Crazy. He's a great manager. Yeah, oh, I love Easily. I easily love a Hall of Famer. Easily a Hall of Famer. Oh, manager. yeah. So much. He's such a good manager. Yeah, I like your reasoning. It's They're really riding high, and they might just keep rolling. It should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I mean, if that happens, sorry to the Cubs. You know, Maybe they'll win another year, and that would be a huge shame. But And I don't know. Part of me wants the Cubs to win just because it's been so long. But, like, nope. I don't know. I'll be happy either way. It's funny, too, Jared, that you didn't pick the Cubs since you picked them in, before the season started and you're four games away from being right. I didn't. It's really funny because I am four. And if, like, if they win, then I'm right. Cool. But if but my prediction now is I don't think they're going to do it. I think the, the pressure is too much. I think that the way the Indians are playing and the momentum they have, it's just I think it's going to be too much for the Cubs to overcome. Lauren, after you've heard what we both said, I mean, yeah, obviously I stick with your prediction, but do you see what we're saying? Do you think that could happen? Oh, no, no doubt. I mean, like I said, this was – I could go back and forth on, on each team all day. Um, obviously, the, the Indians have a phenomenal team. They have a phenomenal manager, and they have Andrew Miller, who obviously we've seen all series just be completely dominant. And, you know, the Indians just – I think you said it perfectly, like the magical season, a magical team. And they definitely do have what it takes, but I just think the Cubs have a, a little bit of an edge. The Indians are kind of like the 2013 Red Sox, a team that nobody expected to do much of anything and just got to the World Series all of a sudden and kept riding the wave with all these players who were just kind of average and guys like Ryan Merritt winning games and their bullpen pitching eight and two thirds, eight and a third innings of a game and winning all these games and beating these high-powered offensive teams. It's just like it's, everything's everything's working at once when you wouldn't expect it to. Yeah, it, it's crazy, and I'm definitely rooting for them hard. And, of course, all of our World Series predictions were brought to you by uh, Blue Apron. 
uh, Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Uh, Blue Apron achieves this, of course, by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. It has a huge impact on households, of course. Cooking together builds strong family bonds. Research shows that Blue Apron um, really just helps um, kind of obviously bring families together and make families cook nearly three times more as often. Um, those who spend a lot eating out or in high-end grocery chains, things like that, can now spend under $10 per person for a delicious meal. Some of the meals in October, and, and these are delicious, guys, crispy chicken mayonnaise with the warm Brussels sprouts, celery, and potato salad. I actually just had that one the other night. Delicious. Um, roasted pork, steamed buns with black garlic mayonnaise and spicy cabbage slaw. Is, the list goes on and on. They're really delicious stuff, um, and for less, again, like like I said, for less than $10 per meal, you're able to get the seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. It's all step-by-step directions. Um, and now we have a deal, obviously, and it's really great, a great thing that you guys can get. Um, so you can check out the menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com backslash redsoxbeat. You'll love how good it feels and it tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals. With Blue Apron, so don't wait again. That's blueapron.com slash Red Sox Beat. Type that right into the URL up top on the web browser. Again, that's Blue Apron, uh, a better way to cook. And I know you guys use them. We, I use them. Um, just uh, overall great and love having them on as a friend of the show. Um, I had some uh, some rigatoni with uh, some cabbage and this little cool, yummy like sauce that was made out of a bunch of different stuff last night. It was really good. It was, it was a tasty meal. And I'll say this forever, Jared. Every show, I'll say it. You make that stuff sound so good. Man, you should just be like a food a food reader. <laughs> like, man, a food reader. Make it, just a, yeah, just read about food and people are going to eat it. Yeah, you, you make, make it sound really good. Sound good. <laughs> right? Brussels sprouts are good, good, man. What are you talking about? They are. are people good. don't think they are, but they are. You Either way, you make everything sound good. So, oh, I appreciate yeah, that. You <laughs> yeah. Um, Change that being, that being, <laughs> nah, I'll, I'll stick to this. Thanks. Um, All right. That being said. We're out of time for this week. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter at RedStock underscore Beat. Check out all the written coverage um, as stuff pops up. Um, but we're going to let you go for Jess Thomas and Lauren Campbell. Um, enjoy the World Series. Enjoy what it is. We'll be back next week talking more baseball. Um, for now, this has been Red Sox Beat here on the Red